Welcome to Inside Seaweed. This is the podcast where we talk about the incredible world of seaweed and how this growing industry is bringing innovation and solutions to address climate change and the environmental crisis. My guest today is Joost Wouter, entrepreneur, speaker, author and CEO of The Seaweed Company. Joost's career started at two large multinational corporations and took a very different direction when he started a management consulting firm of his own. In 2018, he then founded The Seaweed Company with the purpose of contributing to a livable future for the generations to come. I wanted to keep this intro nice and short because I had a really nice conversation with Joost, which we started by unpacking the milestones of his career and the motivations that led him through those steps. So without spoiling any of this fascinating story, please enjoy my conversation with Joost. Joost, welcome to the show. It is great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Where are you based at the moment? At the moment, I'm based in uh, Skidam, which is a city close to Rotterdam in the Netherlands. In in preparing for this interview, I've learned a bit about your story and found some really interesting elements in it, many of which I have to say I could strongly relate to. Uh, so I don't usually ask this, but could you maybe go through the um, the steps that took you to becoming a seaweed pioneer? And please, you know, feel free to go as far back as you like, you know, including your childhood, for example, if that is, <laughs> if that is anywhere, you know, anything that is uh, relevant. Yeah, childhood is probably childhood is probably less relevant, but I can start uh, with, as far back if you like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I, if, as far where I can see that it, that it starts becoming a kind of a pattern is from the moment uh, I started studying. I studied the mechanical engineering at the Delft University. And um, always with the idea that I thought that a technical background is a good base to have. Maybe not so much to work in that area, in that field, but it it makes you kind of, well, relaxed when it's about abstract things or about formulas or technology. And I think that's an important uh, skill or experience to have. And the fact that I didn't do a lot with it is proven by uh, my first professional career step. I started working for Procter & Gamble as a brand and account manager, selling uh, diapers, shampoos, uh, skin cream and all that, which was really good because that is actually where I mastered and learned the skill of sales and marketing. And yeah. I think that has proven very valuable over the, the rest of my life. I can see that. A uh, couple of years later, about five, six years later, uh, I was asked to join the management team of, uh, of a soft drink company. And uh, that was another extremely valuable experience, I have to say, uh, learning about how to run the business as part of the uh, director team, uh, all the financial side. Uh, so I could even further explore into the sales and marketing knowledge that I learned at Procter & Gamble. That was a, a very interesting period in time as well. And then at some point in time, when uh, my wife and myself got pregnant from our uh, first boy, uh, I decided to quit that job and start my own firm, my own business. That was a, 
yeah, actually quite a, a dream that I had for quite some time that I want to be independent. That is something that is a line through my life. I wanted to be independent and resilient, not be, not relying on any outside force in a way. So by becoming an, my own entrepreneur, my starting my own business, I felt that that was a, that was a way to do that. Was it a strong urge that you had for a long time? Do you think? I think so. It was a, it was a little bit dormant, uh, but it was an urge from myself and and my wife. And uh, she took that step a little bit earlier than I did. But at one point, we decided to start together, and uh, and we started a training, management consulting training, and uh, and coaching company. And uh, we what we did is we worked with a lot of large multinationals and we helped these organizations to let's say with their strategic plans with their with their teams and how to build vital and dynamic teams so actually how to become more sustainable with the people that you have around what i learned in the two american companies that i started working in is that they were quite hierarchical and i thought that i noticed that yeah you are hiring people that are very smart and have a lot of ideas if you put them in a very fixed structure, you won't get the, the full benefit of it in a way and, 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 the, and the full joy of it. So that is what we, that's what we did for about 17 years. Let me stop you there for a second, just to sort of go into that particular period and what was happening back then. So if I understand it right, you had uh, about seven years in, the, in a corporate job for two different multinationals. Mm -hmm. um, did you feel it was somewhat atypical to move from a well-established career into, you know, in the corporate world to becoming an entrepreneur? Well, I think that um, it, it, it has to do with me, with my urge or my desire to become independent in a way. And so for me, it was very logical. Funnily enough, it's like some people ask me, like, how on earth are you leaving a well-paid, very well-paid uh, corporate career to start an entrepreneur and step into the uncertainty of becoming an entrepreneur. But funnily enough, the moment you start to become an entrepreneur and, and, and realize that within a couple of years, you have 10, 15, 20 clients mm. that feels much more stable and, uh, and, and, and yeah, uh, reliable than actually being employed by one, one company. No, that's fair enough. In fact, let me ask you the opposite question. And this is going to sound like I'm grilling you or something, but it's, it's really generally something I, I'm, you know, I'm interested in because it's a question that I'm in a way trying to answer for myself. What kept you in your corporate career for as long as it did? It was only seven years, so that was not so long. What it was was, 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 I think it was a logical move after my study at university. It was a logical next step to step into that world and to be honest uh, without those seven years in the corporate world my life would have looked much different because i learned so much that the big corporates have a huge uh, advantage as well eh? you can you can learn a lot that you can never learn if you become an entrepreneur and it's like the combination of the two that makes it very interesting so do you feel that actually gave you some advantages? Oh, yes. When you made the switch? Yes, yes. Just look at it from this perspective. Uh, I mean, how many coaches, trainers and consultants are there out there? I mean, there are lots of people that say exactly the same things as I do. But the fact that yeah. your background is different, you create a different listening. 
Yeah, I even see that nowadays. Like if if you can say that, yeah, my my background is with some big uh, sales and marketing corporations, then people listen differently. And yeah, rightly so or not, it is a fact. It sounds like it helped in establishing your authority yeah. in a way. Yeah, yeah, you could say it like that. So when you decided to then move into the seaweed industry? Well, that was also part of that. So when we started our own company, we moved uh, at some point in time, we moved to Spain to, to run our life from there. And uh, we stayed there for 10 years. And what I noticed that, that over the years, that instead of only working with the teams, my work shifted more and more towards the impact that the organizations had. So I became a B Corp and I started focusing on the environmental impact that companies had and organizations had. And I realized that organizations actually could play a huge role in, well, restoring the state of the planet when they wanted to and if they were willing to to change that. Hmm. Well, what I realized as well after some years is that maybe they want to, but they are not able to change. Uh, most companies are so fixed in their structure with their shareholders, etc., that I then decided to say, like, okay, I quit my company, my own company, actually, and I start a new one. I, I want to have a tangible impact, as I call it myself, yeah. something that I can... I sense a little bit of frustration, maybe. Is that fair? Yeah, I think in the end, it turned a little bit into frustration. So you spend half a year, uh, three quarters of a year together with a team, with a management team of a company. And we came up with beautiful ideas how to make the company more sustainable, more future-proof. And then you turn your back and you see they say like, yeah, in the end, uh, the shareholders don't want this or they don't like this. So it's a little bit, mm. I thought like, if I, I can only spend my time and energy on on one thing and my time and my energy are my biggest assets money is just nothing in a way it's like you can always earn it or lose it but time you can only lose in a way if you don't spend it right so that's mm. also like a line in my life i've always done the things that i feel i wanted to do at that moment i was never i never stayed longer in any activity if i didn't like it anymore i thought it's a waste of time and energy mm. so that is something that yeah, at one point showed up and I said, now it's, now I really want to have tangible impact. And what I did then is because I, I didn't have a clue how and in what area is that I just went through my LinkedIn list and, and I invited myself for, um, with people that I knew and I said, like, hey, can I, can I invite myself for a cup of coffee or lunch? And I want to hear what you're doing. And it was, th those were people that were working in, let's say, solar panels or uh, wind energy or uh, battery storage. And that, that all sounded nice. But for me, those were already, let's say, almost commodity industries. Mm. And then one moment in time, I, someone introduced me to the concept of seaweed. And uh, that was love at first sight. At first sight. Yeah. Well, made it different. I don't know. I didn't know anything about seaweed, actually, apart from uh, knowing the stuff in, when I lived in Spain that was sticking in between your toes or in your uh, in your hair when you were swimming. But it was, was there an appeal for you, the f not knowing about it? Not, no, not but it was the about. sense of, wow, this might be something. I, I quickly learned that that seaweed might be an untapped resource in a way. And, and also when I learned about all the possibilities of seaweed, I started to wonder, like, this is interesting. I mean, if it is, if you can do so many things with seaweed, why don't I see it? Why in the Western world, I don't see seaweed? Why is it not visible? Why, mm. why don't I hear about it? And that is what got me intrigued. I see. What was your sort of 
personal mission at this point? Well, when I left Spain, I left Spain with the uh, determination, the commitment to support the life of the generations to come, the generations without a voice. Yeah. That was my, my drive. And, and seaweed fitted perfectly in that, uh, in a way. But that was my drive. I wanted to have something, I wanted to start an impact company, something, a company where you use the entity of a company to do good, to contribute and to yeah. have yeah. everything that you do uh, have a positive uh, ecological, social and economical impact. So that's interesting. So now you're hooked on seaweed, shall we say, and uh, you're looking into it and you're seeing all these things that can be done with seaweed. But then you look around and it's just not there. Yeah. Did you want to make it visible? Did you want to get it out there? Yeah, the, the, well, you mentioned exactly two terms that, that, that I use myself. Uh, I, I was hooked on seaweed very quickly, but it took me one and a half year of studying. So I took, oh, wow. I took one and a half year of my time without any earnings. Uh, and, and I just jumped into the world of seaweed. I was reading a lot of papers. I was talking to a lot of people in the industry to understand why, why is it that I don't see seaweed? And at one point in time, uh, myself and two other partners, we decided to, to start uh, the seaweed company and, and literally to make seaweed visible. Right. What do you feel is the most important thing that you're doing at the moment to make seaweed visible? At the moment, I think uh, our biggest contribution is in trying to make seaweed visible is really pioneering and paving the path uh, to, so seaweed can become, can have a significant impact, can have a significant contribution to the world, can support the health and well-being of humans, animals, soils, and crops. And, yeah. and, and I'm very careful with, uh, with this. As I'm never positioning seaweed as the solution, as the, the silver bullet. I'm really aware that seaweed can just have a, can be a contribution to it, can, it can support the transition. But because it is relatively unknown, it's a fantastic means to tell new stories, to share new stories. And that is, um, yeah, that I find pretty uh, cool. It keeps me uh, working on this uh, day and night over the last uh, six years already. Yeah. So at this point, obviously you're, you're not alone. You probably at this point, I'm sort of going back to uh, when you started on after this year and a half of studying, you start presumably with farming. But what really the, most, the, the, the thing that I want to sort of look into it is you didn't start alone. You started to build a team. How did you go about that? How did you find your co-founders and, and how did you progress from there? One of the things I learned in, uh, let's say, my previous lives is that I know what my skills are, where I'm good at, and I also know where I'm not good at. So yeah. I thought first thing that we need in, in uh, a couple of things that we need if we want to start a solid business is I need someone, or I, I mean, we, we need someone that knows about seaweed. So I found uh, my colleague Stefan Kraan, pretty well-known uh, seaweed expert that is already working with seaweed for 38 years, lives in Ireland. We had a perfect match. And, and so that was an important uh, element to the team. And my other colleague uh, is Edwin Sneekes. And Edwin is an expert in, let's say, operation financial side. So together we formed, a, I would say, the perfect team, very complementary. Yeah, where we had the commercial and the, and the vision side, the seaweed knowledge and the operation on the financial side. So that's how we started. Were these connections that you had before or you just went out and 
look for these people? We we met in this in this one and a half year, yeah. And all three we were looking for uh, for 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 seaweed, so we found each other, and it was quite a match. Nice. It's quite lucky, isn't it? No, there is no luck in the way. He's like uh, you you when you're on the search for something, you know what you need or want, then you find it on your way. Uh, that's. Uh, mm. Was it a lot of work to? What I'm trying to sort of imagine is if it was a very active proposition from yourselves to go out there and find the right people. If we take luck out of the equation, you find that you were very active in looking for these guys. Actually, it's funny that you asked that, but it's not. It's, I mean, it was not so much that I was looking for specific skills or so, or that Edwin mm. or Stefan were looking for specific. It was, it was almost that the seaweed company had to be founded. It was something that had to happen. And that it was looking for three crazy people, committed people that were willing to do that, to take on that job. That is that is how it feel, the whole journey of the seaweed company feels all the time. And that's completely yeah. different than starting it with a pre-fabric idea about it should, I should have this, I should have that. It was more realizing like, hey, we are a complementary team. And maybe there was a fourth person uh, that we could uh, could have joined and we didn't meet him or her yet. That was also a possibility, but th- th- it's more like that. I see. Okay. So moving on to now then, what are the uh, the key areas that you guys focus on at the moment? What made you choose them? Yeah, so right now, as we speak today, we have about uh, 35 to 40 people in the seaweed company yeah. running around. And a couple of things. So when we started, we, we realized a few things. One is, and it was an answer to the question, why is seaweed not visible? We noticed a couple of elements. One. Either you found people in the world, let's say outside of Asia, uh, that were working on seaweed, but they were mainly geographically fixed and they were growing one species. Uh So every season they were almost looking for, how do I get rid of this pile of seaweed, mainly brown seaweed, that, that I have accumulated over the last season and I don't have a market for it, or I have a limited market because I only have one species. On the other side, we found people with pretty cool ideas that, that needed seaweed, but they didn't have any access to seaweed. Hmm. So we thought if we want to start off a business or an industry, actually, we need to be vertically integrated or horizontally integrated, as you want to call it. So we need to be responsible for the beginning, the creation and the, and the, and the propagation of, of seaweed base material mm-hmm. up to the development of products that are ready to sell in the market. So that's what we what we did. The other thing we notice is that if we want to offer a portfolio of, sea, of, of valuable products, yeah. then we do need multiple species. We need to combine the red, brown, and greens to combine the bioactive ingredients, to combine the, the benefits and come to optimal solutions. So in our products, we, we, have, uh, we make blends of four or five different species. So that means that we need more locations to grow the seaweed, because as you all know, probably that all those species don't grow uh, around mm-hmm. in, your, in your backyard. And uh, so they grow on different species. So we started our company with farming in Ireland. Pretty soon after that, uh, we uh, went to uh, Morocco and we went to India, to the Netherlands. Uh, we're now starting in Greenland. Oh, wow. So yeah, we have, uh, and, and many more places uh, on the radar. So yeah, that's on the farming side. On the let's say the downstream part, so the product development part, we also have a different approach there. So we focus on two concepts. We call it blue farming and blue health. 
where we either support farmers in the transition towards regenerative agriculture and, and sustainable farming, and we support uh, humans in their transition towards a more sustainable diet. Okay. And I can share much more about that. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, if you, if you want to maybe give a bit more details on, on these two elements. So what you see on, on the blue farming side is that um, we distinguish two areas. One is the crops and soils, and the other is the, the farm animals. So one of the products that we make out of our seaweeds is a, is a biostimulant. And when you use that on your soil or on your crops, farmers see a lot of benefits. They see um, much uh, richer soil, soil that, that holds much more water, so then it needs less irrigation which absorbs more uh, soil organic matter. Therefore, over time, the farmer needs actually less inputs whilst maintaining the output. Uh, we just recently uh, finished uh, a trial, field trial, and we reduced the amount of pesticides and fungicides and herbicides with 25% whilst maintaining exactly the same output. Well, this is just mind blowing. This is just fantastic. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. The same with animals, so we make uh, supplements out of seaweed, we make blends, and what we see there is that it supports animals in, in, uh, in their immune system. If an animal needs less energy to support its immune system, it can either use that energy to improve its performance. Well, I have to say that currently farming animals, farm animals are almost pretty much up in their performance. So we rather see that they need less energy, so less feed, for the same performance and that has a huge impact in the whole carbon chain up to the yeah. let's say the cutting of uh, forest to grow soy in the amazon mm. so that's on the blue farming side on the blue health side we mainly focus on hybrid products so hybrid meat products let's say we could replace with our seaweed blend we replace up to 40 percent of meat products let's say hamburgers and mm -hmm. that has a huge impact as well huge impact so just imagine 100 gram hamburger with uh, with our blend in it has uh, avoided 13 kilograms of co2 340 liters of water and 25 square meters of land that has not been used to grow crops that was normally fed to the animals that ended up in the hamburger so also there from an impact perspective huge impact and that's what we that's what we're after so we're looking all the time where can we have the biggest impact and then yeah start from there yeah if you think about how many burgers are cooked every day i imagine I the don't have a clue i know it's a lot <laughs> it must be a lot yeah. i want to ask you a little bit about biorefining it's a it's a very interesting topic and there's a lot that we don't know about. So maybe there's a bit of pattern there, which makes it interesting and appealing and there's and there's a lot of potential. When thinking about biorefining, what are, in your view, the uh, challenges and opportunities? That is indeed a very interesting area. And that is, that is, I think, the area where we can really capture the value of seaweed. And I'm not talking about, this, let's say, the traditional agar and carrageen extraction. Mm -hmm. um, that is an area where we don't like to play a big role. But if you talk about other uh, bioactives like fucoidin or even biostimulants, that's a very valuable uh, proposition. That is where we th where we see a big big future for for seaweed. How do you see this area develop in the near future? 
probably it, it it has to develop one from from an economic perspective because you really tap into you can tap into the higher value uh, proposition mm -hmm. second if your um, volumes of of uh, cultivated seaweed are growing then one of the processing steps drying becomes a very challenging one especially if you don't live mm. in countries where the sun shines like uh, the netherlands or ireland or greenland where um, you can't rely on natural ways of drying so you can do that up to a certain volume but at one point that becomes way too expensive i mean the energy inputs are way too big so ideally then you look into processing steps where you can put the the raw biomass into uh, into the process and starts extracting things so therefore it without drying you mean yeah Okay. Has the uh, the seaweed company focused on developing any biorefining methods or technologies? No, on that side, we don't want to be, uh, that, that's not our core business in a way. So we tap into existing existing technologies or we co-develop them based with, with our knowledge, with, with right. partners that have experience on extraction methods. Uh, and then we make them specifically usable for, for seaweed. Is there a need for a further innovation in this area, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Although you could say that if you look at what what's the biggest challenge right now, and I, I still remember uh, a meeting with uh, Mark von Kites. He was leading the, uh, the, the US ARPA-E project a couple of years ago program. And he, he said something interesting when I had a meeting with him. He said, the biggest challenge is for us is to get biomass, to get seaweed at a certain price onshore at a price of about hundred dollars per uh, per ton mm -hmm. that's the challenge if we can manage that then there are enough existing technologies that are already being used in agriculture or in other areas that we then can use for seaweed i mean in the end seaweed is is a biomass like any other plant or, or organism with of course some very specific characteristics don't get me wrong there I mean, it has very strong cells, which are very difficult to open, but the technology exists for that. So it's not the first time that engineers have to deal with these kind of, of challenges. So you can tap into existing technology and yeah, there's always a need to do them smarter with less energy involved and, and, and more efficient. So, yeah. so it sounds like there's a lot we can do, but the struggle is to actually make it viable. Make it viable and what our point of view is is that there is not enough seaweed so i would really love to see more seaweed in the world in in in, in outside of asia again i'm always saying outside of asia we we split the world in asia 98 percent of all the seaweed is grown and cultivated there yeah that means that outside of asia there's hardly anything yet a lot of water so that's where we need to focus on and create biomass that is that will then be used to to yeah to capture the value out of it yeah, at the right price then. Yeah. Do you think there is a pro an underlying problem in, let's say, the West, Europe, for the seaweed industry to actually be profitable? Is there is there an obstacle there? Mm, I'm not so sure. I think it will take some years to establish because we need to establish both the production side of, of seaweed and the, the, the product development side of it. But mm -hmm. If you, it, it's very simple. If you, people, some people in the beginning, when I was exploring uh, why seaweed wasn't visible, they said like, yeah, there is no demand because if there would have been more demand, then I would grow more. And I said, no, that's bullshit. There is not enough seaweed because if you just look at seaweed, if you look at the macronutrients, you see the, the, the proteins and the fibers and, and all that, any 
processing industry knows what to do with that. But hmm. they need a certain volume to start a viable economic activity. And they need, they need continuity. So if you just offer in May after your annual harvest one big pile of seaweed, then it's very hard to start an economic activity based on that because I need it every month. So that's why we are looking into ways how we can preserve it by drying or fermenting it. And, and so we can offer it year round, even if it's a seasonal species. So on the other side, economic activities can take place based on an annual supply chain. And you, you mentioned it's, it's a matter of volume. Is it a matter of scale? How, how big does it need to be? Oh, how big, I don't know, uh, but it is uh, much, much larger than, than it is right what now. what it is now. Yeah, I okay. mean, right now, if you look at the, 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 the amount of tons that are being uh, cultivated, I think in Norway, if you look at Europe, in Norway, you have some of the older, bigger companies, and they correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that the largest ones, they, they produce 300 tons wet per year, mm. 400 tons, let, let it be 600 tons wet per year. So if you dry it, it would be 60 tons or so per year. Right now, we are already shipping every month out of our farms in India, 40 tons dry and about 10 to 20 tons dry from Morocco. So that's per month. And it's still yeah. peanuts. Wow. It's peanuts. No, it's peanuts. It's nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. nothing. You can do anything. I mean, you have, you have two containers or three containers per month, which is nothing. So that is that needs to change the mindset of what scale is in seaweed is 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 needs to change that's why we are pioneers in the scaling up and saying that it's not scaling up in the let's say the traditional industrial way let's let's build some mega farms and scale up now we try to scale up with nature within nature's boundaries mm -hmm. that means that in the countries where we have our farms we work with local communities with coastal fishing for families and Along the coastline, we rather have a hundred smaller farms uh, where, where one family can manage that rather than having big one big farm that runs on an, in, in an industrial way. We really try to prevent and avoid all the mistakes that we're making on land. And, uh, and so far, uh, we are managing that. Let's switch gear for a second. I wanted to touch on something a bit different because I've, uh, I've heard you say something really cool in a recent interview that caught my attention. It was something about the fact that the way you started the company, you see it as a kind of platform more than a company. Yeah. What do you mean by that? When we started the seaweed company, we defined uh, 10, let's say, guiding principles uh, for our company. One of those was we work with nature and, and the others, we were very transparent and open in everything we do. But also one was we want to be a a company fit for the 22nd century. We want to look ahead. We make choices that are beneficial also for the generations to come, but we also organize our company in a way that is that fits much more at today's time. So for instance, all our all my colleagues are all owner of the company. Uh, everyone is uh, own, own shares in the company. They just get them. They don't even have to buy them. They get them. We have a foundation in the core of our company that has also shares and this foundation has the veto right on any, let's say, decision we take that would be off mission. So if we, you can call it stewardship, we have that grounded in our, 
structured in a company. So let's say if someone comes or an investor comes or one of the founders says like, yeah, let's do this, then that foundation with a minority share could say like, no, we are against it because it's against our mission. Mm -hmm. And the other element of that would be that we see ourselves more like a platform than a company, traditional hierarchical company. That means that we share our knowledge very openly. We have uh, webinars, we share our knowledge on, on internet, not the theory, but we first do it and then we share what we've done and what we've learned. We don't have the truth. We, we, we say always, we don't know anything. We don't have the truth. We don't uh, know answers to all the questions, but we can only share what we have experienced and so others can learn from that. And um, what we see is that, that a lot of people get attracted to that. So we get a lot of questions from people like, hey, I've got a concession in in sri lanka or in zanzibar and i don't know what to do or an island and could you help me with it could we start a corporation or i have a cool product idea with uh, materials and seaweed could we join forces and that is what we see as a platform so yeah we provide people that are interested with seaweed with one way or another to work together and that means that we don't need to own everything it doesn't have to be all owned by the seaweed company but it's more like finding ways to cooperate and that both parties both sides can uh, have a positive uh, effect of that can win from it do you find you normally look for this kind of collaboration or never. do never. they find you no, ne we never look for for any we don't never have vacancies and we never look for uh, corporations what we the only thing that we need is a kind of platform where we can share our stories like this one yeah and what we see happening is that people uh, where this story resonates will come to us with a certain proposition and then we can work from that. So I really believe into, uh, we only want to work with people that are resonating on the same frequency. We will never convince people. I don't want to spend and lose energy on people that need to be convinced. If, you're, if you need to be convinced, fine, go and convince yourself and wait a couple of years until you woke, uh, you've woken up. Do you, you find that gives you... This is going to sound horrible, but does it give you a better group of people around you? Yeah, of course. You? I mean, everyone that works in the seaweed company is hooked on seaweed. They bring in their own passion or own skill set, let's say. We have people that are with expertise on financial side or on supply chain or on IT but or on marine biology, but they're all hooked on seaweed. And that makes it so beautiful. Mm. But also our partners and our clients. And we say no to clients that are not adhering to certain principles. We say no to investments. We have said no to a lot of money because that was not the right money for us. So no, and and, and that this gives you this resilience and independency. It's like, and it's sometimes it's very scary, of course, if you say no to, if you need money to grow and you say no to some investors. But in the end, in the long run, that will only make you stronger. Nice. Thanks for that. So linked to what we just said, do you feel there are enough opportunities in the industry for pioneers and innovators to collaborate, to compare notes, ideas, frustrations, challenges, learnings? What I think is needed is a step in uh, more uh, in professionalization here. And that is what we are, what I realized lately is that because we are asked a lot about advice and share notes and all that and um what we are trying to get to is to make also that step a bit more professional by also asking money for it and why we're doing that is not so much it's first of all it is we have to justify the time we spend on it i mean 
if you if you if you grow like what we're doing you catch a lot of attention so a lot of journalists that want to make documentaries students etc which is great that is part of the part of our journey but then there are also companies and people that want to just get the want to get the knowledge and i think if you want if you take yourself serious then you're also willing to pay for that just to give you an example when we started a seaweed company i said and we wrote down our ambitions I said, there's only one name that fits our company, and that is the seaweed company, not a seaweed company or whatever <laughs> seaweed company, it's the seaweed company. Yeah. And when I checked the domain names, that was still available, although it was bought by one of those um, domain uh, pirates. Yeah, yeah, I see what it means. Yeah, and I can yeah. tell you the price was pretty steep. But that said two things to me. One, no one has been serious so far. And, and second, I'm happy that it's still available. And I'm really happy that we did because right now our brand name is, is already proven extremely valuable. It ends up on products in stores. People start to cooperate with us. And, and that, is, that is what's needed. We need to step up uh, and, and we need to build the industry. So any, everyone that is interested in building seaweed, that's fantastic. And we need much more, but it's also not a, we need to get it out of the hobby area appreciating the value from both sides that you're providing and instead of giving it away for free and that some people get me wrong there but i i hope you understand what what i say it is like um i think it will help us all in growing this industry towards also towards clients and acceptance in the market yeah now i you know i i really i appreciate and understand your what you said about stepping up the level of professionalism and taking it away from this hobby cottage industry and going going up a level. Yeah, uh, that is that absolutely you know it's, it's absolutely fair enough and and needed. What I wanted to sort of understand. Well, for, let me ask you first. Do you think the industry needs people with the knowledge providing that service? I'm thinking, does the industry need consultants, for example? You know, I have always have a double feeling about consultants unless they talk from experience. Yeah. So anyone who has read about it and gives advice, I would never buy advice from someone who has not done it. If it's on, uh, let's say, financial side, if, if people, you know, I have, I give advice on, on this and this and this on these strategies, then I say, like, can you please share your bank account, your bank saldo with me? And if it's, why are you doing this? And if it's not, if he's not financially independent, I will not take any advice. Uh, the same with, uh, if you would buy a car, if it's from Max Verstappen, like Formula One, I would, I would take his advice if it's not. And that is the same with seaweed. So there are quite some consultants on this market and some of them have a talk from experience and that's great. But uh, I would be very careful with people that have no experience and just to take it from papers and hearing hearsay. Absolutely. So. Just to close the, the collaboration piece, do you think there is enough of that? Is there an argument to say that we could develop the industry faster and better if we weren't working in silos? Or actually, you think there is a lot of collaboration going on? No, that's a good question. There's n hardly any collaboration. And that's that was one of the things we noticed as well in our in the beginning when we studied the market. There is no industry, there's no competition because competition implies scarcity and there's no scarcity of seaweed. And yet people that are working with seaweed treat everything very uh, like uh, this is mine and I'm not going to share uh, information. Exactly. Now, That's where I was going with If it. you want to build an industry, 
you can compete on the front end. You can compete on, let's say, the areas of getting funding or all that. But on the back, you really want to cooperate. You really want to work together with the same suppliers, for instance, people that supply uh, lines, ropes and nets or seeding machines or harvesting machines. Because if you want to grow an industry, you want that the uh, providers and the suppliers also grow with you hand in hand. And right now that's terrible. Everyone is treating it like, okay, I've invented something with a drying, a new dryer. And I mean, you're a seaweed company, you're not a drying machine expert. So having that knowledge doesn't bring you, give, doesn't give you any benefit at all. The only benefit that you want is that the market evolves. So more people know that seaweed is a potential and then you can distinguish yourself with offering better quality or better service or, or nicer concepts or whatever, but not on the, the things that will never be your business. So a company that says like, yeah, I'm just invested in a, in a, in a new uh, harvesting vessel and I, I keep it secret. Yeah, that's just uh, stupid, I think. That is just blocking the, the speed. Yeah, it's, it's like an obstacle to innovation. Yeah. Just by being, by protecting. And that, is, and that is the attitude. That so far is that that's the attitude. Everyone says, yeah, let's cooperate at a conference. Everyone shares and goes there and shares and shakes hands and, and exaggerates on the presentations where they are. But uh, hardly any people share about their failures, about where they really are. And, and definitely also not about uh, uh, really sharing and cooperating. So yeah, we try to do that right now. So we do setting up some real partnerships with, with other companies to say, like, let's jointly develop and see how we can build a blueprint farm so other people can learn from that and, and implement that. Because in the end, yeah. we are interested in more seaweed. We need seaweed and we don't need to do that all by ourselves. But we do want that it's grown in a certain way, that it's sustainable, traceable, certified etc so we can use it so it would be very beneficial if more people would grow seaweed in, in at certain standards in an hypothetical scenario in which you had the resources i'm thinking unlimited people unlimited money what other areas or projects would you focus on oh i would love that situation i would sign for it immediately <laughs> no i think then because speed and skill are, we are an impact company, so speed and skill is, is our most important thing. We realize all that we don't have the luxury to wait and, 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 and be slow here. So if we would have unlimited resources, first of all, that the resource would start, would start with the financing part. I would love to hire everyone that is passionate about seaweed and want to contribute because I yeah. feel very, very sorry for the people that want to contribute and, and, and don't find a way or a company or organization to do that. So, and, and they also need financial support there. So that, that, that's where I would use the finances for. Then the second is I would, we would map the world and say, okay, what are areas where we can have the biggest contribution uh, on a social and environmental side? Where can we grow certain species that really add to the equation and how can we uh, yeah, ignite that? And, and in that way, almost like a uh, duplicating those blueprints all over the world. Yeah. Nice. I like that. All right. Uh, I'm conscious of time. I'm going to close with one, an, with another hypothetical question. People in the, in the seaweed industry might not be aware of this, but you are the author of two books. <laughs> I'm not sure if you've thought about this at all, but if you were to write another book now, what would you write about? What a nice question. Thank you. I would write about 
reconnecting. I would write about what seaweed has done for me being a means to reconnect with, let's say, the source, reconnect with the other living beings around us to almost break down the barrier that humans have built between human beings and the rest of nature and being completely aware that a lot of the things that we notice and see around us is coming from this disconnectedness that we take the world for granted that we extract more than we can give back and let people wake up Mm. that is that would be my next book in what way seaweed reconnects you to earth well every time i'm on a boat in my canoe or on a ship in ireland or in greenland or in india or morocco and i go with my hands through the wet stuff the slimy stuff the seaweed i become very joyous i become uh, you see a lot of pictures of me where i put the seaweed on my head where i'm playing with it where i'm meditating it's like it is fantastic it, it reconnects you and uh, or it connects you not even reconnects you maybe it's connects you and, and seaweed is just a very powerful organism to do that and yeah uh, that there are more i mean i love to walk in the, in the forest and i hike in the mountains and those are also areas but the sea is something special because maybe it is so unpredictable and unknown and uh and if you put your head in the water and you see all this weed growing and then it's like it's marvelous it's magic yeah fantastic well for for what it's worth i would i would read the book well it might come sooner than i don't know yost uh we're gonna have to wrap this up uh but thank you very much for the time it's, it's been really nice to cover even some of your uh, personal insights so um thanks for sharing that you're more than welcome do you have any final message for the audience or a call to action? Well, I don't know who's listening to this and if you're already into seaweed or not, or interested to seaweed or exploring, but I would say probably most of you already woke up to the potential of seaweed, but please, please, please don't have it only as a business opportunity. See it as the potential if you use seaweed or work with seaweed in the total the total scheme of things so uh, make it make sure that everything that you do with seaweed has positive uh, social ecological and financial impact it's all three it's it's not either or it's it's both and and uh, yeah and, and and live to that and i think if we can grow together the seaweed industry along those principles and also speak to each other if we see different yeah? so uh, i'm very against for instance the uh, devastating extraction of seaweed that is sometimes still called wild harvesting which is just destroying uh, the soils and speak out to that and build a sustainable industry i think we can avoid the mistakes we made on land try to keep the people out with money and less moral a morale and and yeah work with nature in the ocean and i think then we can enjoy the full benefits of seaweed altogether does it go back do you think to uh business as a source of good yeah exactly before we started recording you mentioned a webinar you're you're working on oh yeah this is part of what we are sharing yeah, we um, we have on linkedin we have a webinar series which is called the seaweed dialogues 
Uh, we have information on Medium. Uh, we, we try to share all our knowledge and experiences there. So feel free to have a look there. And uh, I assume that uh, many more things are, are coming, maybe even a book. Watch the space. Uh, is, is there, uh, you mentioned LinkedIn. Uh, is there any other website or uh, media at all where people should go? And well, our website, the website of our company is uh, www.theseaweedcompany.com. And uh, yeah, and if you Google seaweed, then uh, we will pop up probably pretty soon. Fantastic. Thanks again. Uh, and thanks, uh, thanks to you guys for listening. Take care. Bye.